That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I've been waiting to hear those words for weeks now, and I'm so glad we finally get to say them. Above Replacement Radio, that is the new name of the show, and I'm very excited about it. I love it. Yeah, we cannot... We cannot guarantee that we're going to be an above average baseball, above average baseball content producers. Yeah, but, we can. But we, we can um, I've, I've been saying it. But we can guarantee that we will be above the replacement level baseball content producers. That's um, exactly right. If you put in two other replacement college sophomores for baseball content, they would not be as good at us. No. And that, that we can guarantee. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, it's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. Yes. Both of us. Yeah. Yes, we are. And that's, uh, what that's really what we're going for here. Like, we just want to we want to provide for our team. We just want to put some numbers out there and show that we have at least been worth something. And that's that's our that's our mission statement. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're role we're role guys, you know, we'll uh, we'll have it, you know, we'll. We'll platoon with some with some guy, you know. We'll probably you know play maybe eighty five games, have an OPS plus of like ninety five, something like that. Be more of like point six. Yeah, we are we're above replacement radio. That's yeah. what we're here to provide. Not guaranteeing anything above above it. We you know we we hope we hope that we are above you know average, but what we can guarantee is we are above replacement and yeah no doubt about it it's it's uh you know we finally have a name mm-hmm. it took it took way too long in retrospect but I'm, I'm glad it was worth the wait yeah it was and like i didn't even i didn't even think of it until yeah legit like yeah. let's not act like we we made an effort throughout the year plus to actually get a name you just came to me like a month or so ago you're like hey i have an idea above replacement radio i was like all right i like it <laughs> yeah and for those who don't uh, understand it? Wins above replacement is the uh, is like the the big stat that is used today. It's the holy grail to determine uh, the value of a player. It's our gospel. Uh, so yeah, so being above replacement is is better than replacement. If you didn't if you didn't know that, but yeah, it's a new era of uh, I guess above replacement radio, and it's weird like. Uh, you know, with, with show to be named later, I feel like, you know, um, you know how the, you know, that was the St. Louis Browns. Now we're the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Catch my drift. We're a completely different name, but we are the same organization as the St. Louis Browns. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Same major league baseball organization, but you know, we changed. We, we were, changed. we were the Seattle pilots, but now we're the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. That's that's the other comparison uh, mm-hmm. you could make. Different name, but same organization. All the all our players from the show to be named later are coming over to Above Replacement Radio. Exactly. So, same same team, same two two hosts, same statistical breakdowns of everything, and uh, same takes. Yes, same takes. In fact, 
later in the episode, we'll be going over a take we've kind of been repeating for a while of uh, Kurt, Kurt Schilling's Hall of Fame status. But anyway, we're going to get into the uh, the news of the week. Um, not a very busy week, especially compared to last week when uh, the Padres were, were getting everyone. But uh, the only like major name to go anywhere was uh, a reliever, Jose Alvarado, uh, who's yeah. been with the Rays, I believe, his whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, was traded to Philadelphia, who desperately desperately needs bullpen help. Uh, what are we thinking about this about this move? Yeah, well, this is certainly I look at it as as like a low risk, high reward potential type of move for the Phillies. Um, and obviously, it's low risk. You know, there's uh, coming off the last two years of uh, Jose Alvarado's career. You know, on paper, it doesn't seem like there's much to look forward to. He's obviously been struggling with injuries. Uh, he hasn't really been able to top his 2018 season uh, where he had a 239 ERA. Uh, since then, he's had a 480 and then a six flat. That obviously isn't ideal. And if you look at his peripherals, he wasn't very good last year either. But uh, I think there's reason to believe that there's something left in the tank with him. I mean, he's still a pretty young player. I would guess he's probably like 25, 26 years old. Uh, so you know, this is not by any means a bad move for Philadelphia. And yeah, he's going into his age 26 season last year. He has some of the best strikeout numbers uh, among any reliever. I mean, he has a career 10 nine Ks per nine in 132.2 thirds innings pitched. Uh, his walk numbers could use some work certainly, but overall he's going to Philadelphia, a team that desperately needs bullpen help. And what were your thoughts on this? Um. I think I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this for uh, Philadelphia's side. I'm trying to see um, his injury history, which could be an issue. I mean, I feel like the thing to worry about most is his health, because I mean, if he's healthy, and what we've seen from what we see by the numbers is when he's healthy, he's a very very valuable uh, reliever. Especially, you know, 2018 is his uh, is his. Chris, game. I have some unfortunate news. Uh. What is that news? He is two and fifteen in his career. Well, all right. Moving on. <laughs> He's two and fifteen. <laughs> it is weird. Like, I feel like there's a bunch of like Hall of Fame relievers who actually have below like five losing record. Records. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're mostly you usually don't get wins. I mean, unless you usually get saves. Yeah, because you come you come in when you're ahead, so mm-hmm. you can't win a game. You. You, uh, and then you, if you uh, give up a walk-off, which is not that hard to do, you know, you get a loss. Uh, in 2018, he went one in six with a 2.39 ERA, 172 ERA plus, 11.3 strikeouts per nine, 0.1 home runs per nine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Alvarado, um, it appears that he's had shoulder problems, which mm-hmm. that can be an issue. I mean, like I don't know, that could maybe be a precursor to something even more serious, but I mean, I can't imagine the Phillies gave up that much, but yeah, 2018 was his banner year. Uh, that's where he pitched 64 innings, had a two, three, nine ERA, a two, two, seven FIP, um, you know, a strikeout to walk ratio of, of almost three. And yeah, only, uh, only one home run allowed in 64 innings. I know this is a this is a really like tough thing to back up because it is such a small sample size. But uh, up until his last outing, 
in 2020 where he went uh oh and oh yeah point two thirds innings pitched with four and runs uh his era was 2.16 it just went up a lot in his last outing before he got hurt on august uh after august 14th um he had a 2.16 era um through the first eight appearances of his season which of which he had nine that's eight in the third innings pitched uh three runs two earned uh four walks and 11 strikeouts so uh, if you really look deep into his brief 2020 campaign, it was really only one bad outing that really pushed his ERA uh, to where it turned out. So it, it's not really as bad as it looks. Yeah, and to um, compliment uh, Alvarado even more, he's he doesn't give up a lot of home runs because he, you know, even though he's a big strikeout guy, he's also a very big uh, ground ball guy. He in uh, 2019 and. 2020 he used his sinker over 75% of the time and in his uh 2018 year he used it 69.2% of the time and he was getting ground balls at a at a very fine rate for a guy who's known for his strikeouts uh 2018 he had uh 56.9% of batted balls were ground balls and uh 2019 50% of batted balls were ground balls that's uh, well above average. The MLB average for that is about 45%. So, I mean, uh, you know, you're getting a, a guy who definitely knows how to pitch, even, even when he's, you know, uh, even when he's not striking guys out, he's getting, he's getting ground balls. Uh, the problems seem to be the walks a lot, you know, 2019, he almost had a walk per inning. So, I mean, uh, I guess that's the, diagnosis for Alvarado but I feel like if he is healthy um I th think it should be a very good move for uh on uh, Philadelphia's yeah. end one thing that I would like to know is what what exactly is going to be his role on this team is he going to be the closer is he going to be a setup man are they going to sign someone else because the Phillies their bullpen has obviously been a problem for a while and it showed last year more than ever the worst bullpen ERA and and war in the National League and it wasn't even close um, they were almost setting records for like the worst bullpen of all time, uh, barring a short season. So with that being said, if Jose Alvarado comes in as a closer and he performs in that role, that makes life easier for so many more people in that bullpen, specifically Hector Neris. He's had to be the closer for a while there, and he's kind of struggled with that role. But I really do think that he's a guy that can see success uh, as a setup man, as someone who doesn't have, have to have all that pressure on him every single time he goes out. So this could end up being a move that not only makes the team better than or not just him individually, but this could really make the whole bullpen uh, as a unit better and could really put them over the top in a division where everyone is competing in some sort of way. Yeah, it absolutely could. Um, you know, I feel like they, I feel like they would not put him in the closer role immediately, but I feel like if he had a month of good production, they would yeah be perfect perfectly willing to put him in the closer role because i believe he was for for a time in tampa bay during that 2018 year he was in the closers role he had he had eight saves he was like a, a daily occurrence on pitching ninja yeah it it, it is that sinker he mm -hmm. throws it hard and it you know has a has plenty of movement as well it's very deceptive yeah so you know, 2018 is the is the banner year for Alvarado, but I understand that, uh, you know, he kind of has trailed off since then. A lot of that probably due to 
injury. So I think the question is his health and, you know, maybe when healthy, being able to control the baseball and throw the baseball for strikes. But I mean, other than that, I feel like there's mostly good things to uh, look forward to there. Certainly. Uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested to see how this move pans out. And I'm also interested to see if the Phillies are done here, like, is this where they stop with bullpen help? Do they get more guys on top of Alvarado? Because after the non-trade, uh, after the non-tender deadline, there are a lot of free agent relievers out there. Uh, Alex Colomay has been making some waves around uh, headlines lately. I know the Twins are interested. The Red Sox are interested. That's a guy that the Phillies could definitely use to certify a closer role, to have guys like Neris and Alvarado uh, backing him. There's plenty of others out there. I know Tommy Canley just signed, so he's off the board. But uh, there are a long list of relievers that the Phillies could potentially uh, set the set sail on, and Alvarado yeah. is just one of them. Yeah, it depends on like, because there were, I guess there were rumors about the Phillies being in a bad financial situation, but that kind of got uh, disproven, I guess, or uh, I think the general manager came in and said that wasn't true. But I mean, if it, if that is the case, it probably decreases the chances of them making a bigger move, like trying to get Colome or Liam Hendricks. Um, but if it's not an issue, then, you know, no reason why they shouldn't be going after, you know, bigger names like that guys that were in contention for reliever of the year in their respective leagues. You know, it, I don't, you know, it shouldn't stop with Alvarado for sure. I, I think we both agree on that. Um, Cause you know, you can't, you can't have, you know, him be the only guy, especially after his last couple of years, but um, overall, you know, it, they're in a better situation than they were before this, uh, before this deal happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any more thoughts on the, uh, Alvarado deal? I think I kind of got everything out that I needed to. I mean, it's a good, it's a, not a bad move for the Phillies. I really don't see a, a scenario where they lose this deal, so to speak. It's not like they're, you know, spending a ton on him. Uh, it was a pretty low risk trade. And it, it could have a high reward, but it's certainly not a guarantee. Yeah. Uh, these are these are the kind of deals that will happen, I guess, quote unquote, early in the offseason. You know, a, a team's kind of done with I mean, it's, it's January 5th. It's January 5th, and the best free agent deal we've gotten is James McCann on a four-year deal. Yeah. But this is not early in the offseason. This is usually prime, but it's yeah. been painfully slow this offseason. I mean, on, on a scale, it's early. If we're comparing it to like 20... Uh, Even just last year. Heading into heading into 19 and... 18. 18, because this is different than last year. Yes. In terms of like... In terms of like circumstances. Yeah. But like in terms of going into 18 and going into 19, I guess that was quote unquote early. People didn't know it was going to things were going to take that long. I remember like Harper literally signed on March 1st. Um, like, I remember in the off season heading into 2018, like no one was expecting this. And like, uh, that was the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Like the big, the big names were like you Darvish, uh, Jake Arietta. Um, yep. I'm trying to remember the position players that were, wasn't that, that was the off season of, uh, of Harper and Machado, wasn't it? Or no, no, no. that was heading into was uh, 2019. Year. Uh, into 18 JD Martinez JD Martin yeah JD he Martinez. signed he signed like middle of February yeah 
he did his like, press conference was at spring training yeah it was right as spring training was going on mm-hmm. seems like that's going to be happening with several players uh i will say this though i one guy who i believe will sign before spring training this may come as a shock to you but it's trevor bauer he is such a creature of habit i cannot see a scenario where he delays the start of his own season uh to figure out where he's going um i I think the only argument against that would be he wants to milk his free agency as much as possible well also he's like building his own facility for training and that manner and stuff i i don't know like if he needs a catcher to you know be on schedule with I mean, but if you need a catcher, like part of the part of getting ready for your season is you, you're probably going to have a new yeah, you're going to have a new catcher next year because even if you re-sign with the Reds, Kirk Casale just went to the Giants. So I like learning the catcher that you're going to be with is part of that. So I do think that he I still think that he signs before spring training. Um I I guess but, well, I guess uh, unless he signs with the Giants, which isn't happening, he's gonna be with a new catcher. Yeah, that's yeah, he will be with a new catcher, but what I'm what I'm saying is like in terms of him training at this facility that he's building is he's vlogging about mm-hmm. um where he has like mounds and all, every everything that he needs to train. I feel like he uh he's fine with staying there for a little extra longer if he ends up getting more money. And also he just had the best year of his career where the circumstances were extremely uncertain prior to the season. Um, and he was probably taken out of his habits the most. So yeah. maybe he would ease off a little bit. Um, I would be willing to say that he does indeed sign after, after spring training. So I guess okay, that's interesting. Uh, that's a, that's a little, a little thing on the show we could have. Will Trevor Bauer sign before spring training? Well, we'll, we'll talk about details for that later, but uh, yeah, that, that could be an interesting bet or something. Yeah, but it is an interesting point uh, that you make. But yeah, like in terms of the other ones, it, I mean, like uh, there's no other big pitchers left. I mean, Stroman, uh, Stroman signed yeah. or accepted uh, the qualifying guess, offer. Like, you can make a case for like James Paxton, maybe Tanaka, guys like that. But other than other than that, like there's the Bauer is on his own on his own tier of free agent pitchers. Yeah, maybe uh, you could argue Real Muto will sign before spring training because of like because of pitchers and catchers. That's definitely a fair point too. Yeah, being with the uh, being with the pitching staff, it's weird. Like, there's been no reports about him. Like, do we have no idea who's been calling and who's been interested and who's been offering? There's been yeah, nothing. Nothing. Like same but- with Marcelo Zuna. Same with, I mean, I guess not Trevor Bauer because John Heyman had that report uh, this week about the the five six year 200 million dollar deal that he was getting that came into this became this whole controversy none of the big free agents out there have really had many reports as to what's going on in their camps yeah it's been it's been mostly like relievers that people like even at this point in like the harper machado offseason like we were still getting like harper's talking with this team machado's talking with that team scott boris has an offer from them like there was always a sense that like it could happen within the next couple of weeks. We have no idea what's going to happen anytime soon. And we could very well be sitting here again next week with like a minor trade and that being it as our news. Yeah. Uh, 
very yeah very much so but yeah like there's there's not even rumors to uh for us to fill up our time and talk hypotheticals like no i guess george springer george springer is down to the blue jays and mets i've heard uh, I think we've already discussed his impact on whether and if he goes to Toronto. Um, yeah. New York, I mean, that's obviously a team that's been adding a lot. I think if they do add, I think if the Mets add Springer, that takes away their interest in Real Muto. And actually, it probably already has because they signed James McCann. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, definitely like the Mets have to be out on have to be out on real Muto and like, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, makes sense that they would go after an outfielder. I mean, that's the biggest Hole. outside outside of real Muto. And you could make a case that he's over real Muto in terms of biggest position player on the market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where uh, free agency's at mm-hmm. 20, 2020 to 2021 off season. Nothing I mean, happened. I mean, how 2021 is, is this? It's just, I mean, we, this, we've been going, we've been doing this for four days now. I, nothing speaks to this year more than just the fact that there have been no rumors regarding the free agents. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's wild. Exactly. It's crazy. It's what a, what a whirlwind of a year so far, but anyway, yeah, that's all the, uh, that's all the action in terms of move, movement within different rosters in uh Sales pace, baby uh wait what was that last snail's comment pace. what snail's pace snail's pace yes yeah. uh last week it was snell's pace haha wow this week wow it's, this week it's snail's pace boom gotcha <laughs> but uh anyway we've we've you know we're really we're you know uh we're pretty into the hall of fame on this show that's one of our sort of off-season identities especially this year as we've been going over bubble cases that's my identity period yeah i've i've uh sort of i've adopted it much later than than you i think i think i i think i contributed to that though yes yes very much so um and then like uh the base baseball history series kind of enlightened me on the hall of fame a little bit too like you know Mm -hmm. looking at like other hall of fame quality other hall of fame quality players right but yeah um yeah you were you were definitely a big contributor in that and even like even last year's hall of fame election i didn't really know what i was talking about especially in comparison to this year but uh anyway to the point uh there's the past couple week cast past couple weeks serviced us with some particularly bad hall of fame ballots that uh were publicized on the on the internet yeah uh it's not uncommon for there to be bad ballots uh i've seen plenty of them to the point where i just like i kind of scruff over them you know i just look at them and not even really have a second thought but then when they come out and make some ridiculous explanations that's what gets under my skin that's what really gets most of most baseball fans uh, just angered at the fact that people like this are allowed to vote for the Hall of Fame. The first of which is Phil Rogers. He is a writer for Forbes. That's right, Forbes. Pretty big deal. He puts out this ballot on December 29th. Uh, there are four players checked off. They are Mark Burley, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Omar Vizquel. 
and we've done uh, bubble cases on two of these individuals. We're doing another one today, and then later on, we're going to do Omar Vizquel. But if you know us well enough, you probably know what our stances are on most of these people. Uh, I'm not I'm not voting for Burley this year, but I'm not opposed to seeing him on a ballot. Roland, I'm adamant about chilling, you'll see. And then Vizquel, I've explained many, many times. Omar Vizquel has obviously gotten himself in a bit of trouble this offseason. And whether or not you, you know, whether or not you want to take it seriously right now or not, you know, at this point, it is only allegations and it could end up blowing over in the end. Who knows? Because, you know, there were things about Barry Bonds. There were things about Andrew Jones uh, as well. And I believe that uh, most of those charges, if not all of them, were dropped. But right now, Omar Vizquel is dealing with some allegations against him. Uh, in his personal life that obviously if these end up being true, say goodbye to his chances. Like he should have been a lock after last year, getting 52%. It's all gone. Now with that being said, someone, someone asked him, you know, why vote for Omar Vizquel because of these, because of these allegations. And I'm not, I haven't seen reports of this, but I've seen a lot of tweets saying that he actually admitted to some of this stuff. I don't know how much truth there is to that because I've, I've looked into it. I haven't really found much of that. But with that being said, he quote tweeted it. uh, One of the people challenging him and said, I'll admit I was taken aback by the allegations, having long respected Vizquel. I consider dropping him, but try to keep my focus in voting to play on the field. That's hard enough to judge. PEDs impact play on the field, so they're different in my eyes. So essentially what he's saying is that domestic violence is okay, but if you take steroids, no, 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 that's, that's a big no-no. That's not allowed, which is some of the most spineless, just disgusting things I've ever seen. It's incredibly vile. Actions speak louder than words, uh, and we're talking about a, not only a federal crime, but just something that's a horrible thing to do. Like, it's not, it's not even something that's joked about uh, in ever. Like, I know that, you know, jokes are in society becoming, you know, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Chris, like barriered, um, so to speak. Uh, the, the line for the, the line, the margin for jokes is getting smaller. Yeah. This is never joked about. This was, it was never okay. Which I know that he's not doing that, but it's obviously a really serious case of something that should always be taken seriously. And for him to just come out and say that he, he considered dropping this guy with domestic violence uh, allegations and saying he didn't, he preferred to keep him on his ballot, but he didn't want to vote for guys who took PEDs. It's incredibly hypocritical and inconsistent because of guys who are already in the hall of fame. And it's, it aggravates me. Chris, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, this is a, this is a weird one. Uh, I mean, you said that, if he had just said like, I'm waiting for the charges to be yeah. uh, official and like him to be actually charged, then yeah, I, I, you know, understand that. And like, there is p- part of it. I do, I do sort of, I don't like get where he's coming from because I do vote for the, you know, PED guys, especially before like 2005 and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like Bonds mm-hmm. Clemens. And I'm considering like Ramirez Sosa and, and everybody but i understand that like play on the field like i understand that if he's only voting based on play on the field now i agree that i disagree that omar Vizquel was a 
Hall of Famer based on play on the field. But I understand if he's voting purely on play on the field. I am glad that he put Schilling uh, if he's considering only play on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he is one of those guys that over dramatizes the um, effect of steroids. And, you know, it's just uh, for me personally, it's like we just had a little 10 year period where we needed to, um, where we, where we just had some extra excitement, you know, Bud Selig knew what was going on. He had, you know, he had no problem with it. He liked the, the ticket sales and the TV ratings and yeah, and all that, you know, he needed, he, they, he needed to get baseball out of its lowest point ever. Yeah. He let it happen. And I feel like, you know, everyone knew about steroids in the, you know, nineties, early two thousands, like, you know, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the biggest TV star in like the 1980s. Everyone knew about steroids and what was going on there. So Bud Selig could have, could have, uh, enforced drug testing earlier. He didn't, um, waited till, you know, steroids, it wasn't as big of a deal that, uh, you know, people were setting these records and, and things like that. And then he eventually put in some regulations, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see steroids in like the late nineties, early two thousands, the same way as a lot of people do, especially, um, Steve, Steve Rogers or Phil Rogers. Uh, Phil Rogers. Yes. Phil Rogers. Steve Rogers was a pitcher for the Expos, I think. <laughs> um, Phil Rogers, but yeah, I mean, what it, I'm not done with this guy, by the way, but go ahead. His quote tweets. Yeah. yeah. He, he's definitely he didn't do himself a, any favors. He definitely over dramatizes steroids and the effect, like the integrity. Like I, I don't understand saying someone doesn't have integrity because they use performance enhancing drugs while they were legal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I don't understand that. Also, I don't understand just like why he doesn't bring that same energy for domestic violence. Like that's very clearly a worse thing to have against you than, than PEDs when they were legal, even when they were illegal. Like I would vote for Alex Rodriguez over Omar Vizquel if we were just looking at character, which is crazy to say, but I mean, if we're talking PED use versus literal domestic violence, it, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, and he, he, like, when he says he considered dropping him, he's acknowledging that, hey, these domestic uh, domestic assault charges, like, you know, he was taken aback by them. He's, he admitted it, but he was like, yeah, but, you know, uh, I look at play on the field. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird, but, I mean, like, there is, like, there is a, a small tunnel of logic of, of like argument that he could go through, but it's, very it's not going to help his case. There's nothing I, he could say to help his case instead of to just say, I'm waiting for the charges and then I'll drop him. Yeah. That's really all you it, can say. It, that's all he had to do. It's not that hard, Phil. So then I'm just going to get into some of these quote tweets here. Uh, and you, I guess you can draw your own conclusions. Cause I think that what I have to say uh, is kind of just repeats what's already been mentioned. So someone Someone uh, replied to his, his bow and said, you should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. Thank you for being honest, at least when you think on-field talent is more important than respecting women. Please consider some self-reflection about how wrong this is. You have hurt countless women. To which Phil replied, it's possible you're right, and I hate that. I was taught to treat women well, and I've always 
tried my hardest. I was also taught about forgiveness, two sides of every story and the danger of judging others. Do I know enough about every accusation of domestic violence to pass judgment? Once again, correct. It is only allegations at this point, but I don't understand why that same energy isn't brought on for steroids because very clearly they were legal at the time. Very clearly, you know, they know what they were, they knew what they were doing and they didn't cause physical harm to people that put people's lives in danger. Yeah. It's, it's not like, uh, yeah, it's also not like, you know, performance enhancing drugs in a combat sport where yeah. you have more strength and you could physically like uh really debilitate somebody it's baseball i mean maybe maybe if someone gets hit with a line drive it's like five miles per hour harder i mean but that's not it was going to yeah i mean and we all know that we've heard this argument before we've said it before taking steroids don't make you better at baseball they don't enhance your ability to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball to square it up and put it over the fence i mean it i i wouldn't go as far as to say they don't make you better at baseball they will they don't make you better at hitting baseballs they they don't i don't think they make you better at yeah like the what makes baseball hard which is timing and um yeah timing pitch location uh you know a baseball brain all all that type of stuff like uh yeah and it's a lot of a lot of the steroids was recovery so that you could feel the same way uh in august that you did in april yeah i mean that's fair but you know if we're looking at a particular case like barry bonds would get two pitches to hit every game because he was always walked and he would square up both of them and you know steroids don't you know don't make you more likely to square up a baseball you still have to be talented enough uh and things like that yeah i mean like the the thing with bonds is like like yeah he definitely needed the baseball brain and the skill to get to the baseball and time it up as well as he did and maybe maybe you know the recovery aspect of steroids um helped his ability to hone those skills it's just like the ball probably went about 30 feet or 25 feet further I mean, is there any way to distinctly say how much further it went because of steroids? Like, is there any definitely, scientific? Definitely not. But no, like we don't know. Like it could be five feet. It could be 25 feet. There's no, there's no telling which. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I just know that, you know, the him gaining like 20 pounds of muscle mm-hmm. probably helps his ability to sure. hit a ball. To hit home runs, but not to hit period. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. That was the point I was trying to make. Yeah. I mean- yeah, exactly. So moving along now, he keeps getting attacked and he says, someone asks him like a, you know, very, very open, honest question. He says, what is your specific reasoning for differentiating uh, domestic violence from PEDs? And he says, yeah, I've been consistent on PEDs. My standard is not to ignore what I know and not to assume what I don't know. I don't know for known PED violators because PEDs were the biggest affront to the integrity of baseball in my lifetime. In your lifetime, Phil, there's never been any sort of demolition to the integrity of baseball in, in the last, in your lifetime, that's bigger than steroids. I'd beg to differ. In the last five years? In the last five years. I think there's a bigger one in my lifetime, and I'm definitely not, I'm definitely no older than you. Uh, don't know how to overlook guidelines to voting, which I get that it is kind of gray area and everyone has their own opinions, but you can't possibly say that steroids were the biggest 
destruction to baseball's integrity in your lifetime when we literally just saw the Astros sign stealing scandal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's did you see how many pitchers came forward and said, I would rather face a guy on steroids than a guy who knows what pitch was coming. Yeah. And I feel like that's an obvious thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just these types of, can you imagine if that... Barry Bonds knew what pitch was coming? I mean, like it would be ridiculous. Like imagine just the whole nineties, but everyone knew what pitch was coming. It wouldn't even be fair. Yeah, exactly. Like it, but these things have to be said for these kinds of people. And like, and I would say, and like, uh, I was thinking about like probably 90% of the people that played with like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens would say that they are Hall of Famers. Because yeah. also about most of the people that played with them, especially like early 2000s, were probably also on PEDs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like that's that's just how the game was. I mean, we... we we will get more into it uh, two weeks from now when we go yes. over the um, all of the uh, guys. Are we going Wagner steroid guys Vizcal or steroid guys steroid guys Wagner Vizcal? It's uh, we went. I decided. I decided to go. Yeah, it's Wagner steroid guys okay. Vizcal. Yeah, I like that because we're yeah we. I figured Vizcal would be a a much more. A That's much the more one to slam, end on. For much sure. more of a slam a slam dunk episode. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a good one. The steroid <laughs> guys is a more, I guess, intellectual debate of like, yeah, we'll, it'll we'll be a little less, a little more calm about things mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, steroid guys. But anyway, we are. <laughs> I still have a couple more that. things. I have two more things, two more tweets I want to show from Phil Rogers uh, regarding this ballot. So he puts out his first like public tweet, like addressing it that isn't like a response to someone else saying. I'm not surprised I'm taking a beating on my Hall of Fame vote. Uh, Poor choice of words. Very, very tone deaf of him to say that. It happens every year for as long as I can remember. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why. Here's the thing. Life is complex. It's all shades of gray, rarely black or white. Evaluations are complex. Go ahead. Disagree. Love the passion. Uh, Domestic violence isn't a gray area. Like, there shouldn't be any sort of confusion about that like it's domestic violence that the, the, i don't even need to say more yeah and like he sort of in a way dismissed it and yeah uh, by the way i mean uh maybe i don't know maybe it's in poor taste but domestic violence is uh more illegal than uh steroids were before 2005 but it's more legal than steroids ever were than steroids everywhere you you yeah. actually go to jail for domestic violence peds you know you, you hit a ball farther you throw a ball faster yeah, come on. Uh, yeah. so last thing this kind of gets away from this kind of puts it more on the field uh which is of course what he was going for the whole time uh he says as for my vote for omar vizquel i like metrics like wins above replacement but they aren't everything my leaning fact favors shortstops on great teams. I voted for Dave Concepcion when I could, and he was one of the many who who championed Alan Trammell's who championed Alan Trammell's Hall of Fame case. Shortstops are huge in winning. And to that, I say, unless you go somewhere in free agency, which Omar Vizquel did not do when he was on the Indians, you can't control what team you're on. You can't control how good your team is if you're one person. It doesn't matter who you are. Omar Vizquel happened to be on an Indians team that was really good. And listen, we went over the 97 Indians. They were awesome. And 
you know, they obviously they didn't win the World Series, but they were very close. And they, you know, if they were to have won it, no one's seeing it as a fluke. But if you're going to compare any team Omar Vizquel ever played for to the teams that Dave Concepcion played for, you know, the 75, the 76 Reds. We're going to go over them on the Johnny Bench episode this week. It is not even close. It's not even close. We're talking about the big red machine, a team that won back-to-back World Series, the team that won 108 games in a regular season versus the Indians who never got more than 100 in a season. Granted, it was a 144-game season. But, I mean, but they never won a World Series. Like, if we're talking about shortstops and winning, Omar Vizquel never won a World Series. Dave Concepcion won two. And if you're going to compare shortstops based on teams and you're going to compare those two, it's not a fair comparison at all. Yeah. Like the, like, I don't like that logic anyway, but it still doesn't make sense. Yeah. The Reds pennants, they won the pennant in 70, 72. Uh, they won the NL West in 73. Uh, they won the world series in 75 and won the world series in 76. Like that's, yeah. that's uh, I believe, four pennants in seven years the indians won two pennants two pennants in yeah viscal's career which viscal had i think 11 years with the uh, over 10 years with the indians yeah like it wasn't because it wasn't because of him at all clearly it was because of jim tomey uh david justice albert bell yeah uh, manny ramirez sandy alomar sandy alomar oral hershiser uh, I mean, you could go as far back as to say, like, um, it was Den- Dennis Martinez. Manny like, Ramirez? I, yeah, I mentioned him. You did? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I don't get the the shortstop on great teams. And, by the way, Alan Trammell was so much better than Omar Vizquel, uh, if, we're, if we're talking about him. And yeah, Concepcion is, I guess, comparable to Vizquel, but like shortstops on great teams, like you're only the shortstop is only like the captain necessarily of the of the field, not not the lineup. They're mm-hmm. only like in the lineup, they're just another guy on the field. I, I know it's I understand that it's different, but yeah, I mean it's it's weird. But do we want to get into uh, David's yes. David Scrata? Yes. Uh, so this is a guy who is a Kansas City-based sports writer for the Associated Press. Uh, he covers the Chiefs and the Royals. Uh, by the way, don't you think it's a little weird? I know that this is kind of kind of being picky, and I definitely could be wrong here, but like the BBWAA allows guys who cover more than just baseball. Like I feel like it should be like strictly you're a baseball guy. Oh yeah, literally. Uh, the the Viscel, the the guy who voted Viscel and not Schilling. His Twitter name is Joe McDonald Hockey. Yeah. It's, it's very, very weird. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. There's like, uh, if you're going to vote for baseball's highest honor, you should be baseball above all else. Yeah. And, and that like, shouldn't even be a, that shouldn't even be in the conversation, which maybe, you know, there could be some gray area. Maybe this guy was hired as a Royals writer and then he grew to the Chiefs over time. I don't know. It's still, it's still, I don't know. It, it feels very weird to me that we have guys like baseball above everyone else. I like John Morosi is a good example of a guy who can cover like two sports, but he's clearly a baseball guy, but he also does stuff for like NHL network. 
But I mean, MLB and NHL Network are literally the same company. Yeah, that that is. Like they're under the same wing. But like you know, he's clearly a he's to the point. He's clearly like a baseball yeah. guy who yes. does hockey stuff on the side. Exactly. Like Joe, like, this guy Joe McDonald, like I, he's a Boston-based guy. Yes, he he's, he's a Bruins guy, right? He's more of a Bruins guy than a Red Sox guy, and that's. Has he ever really been a Red Sox guy? Uh, I think he did. I think he does sort of cover the Red Sox, but he's more heavily into uh, into the Bruins. Yeah, I feel like we should track down and like make sure. I mean, I obviously I'm not in the BBWA. I have no control over this, but like it does feel kind of weird to me that we have guys who have like shifted focuses towards other sports, talking about like the you know who deserves baseball's highest honor. Yeah, and like there are countless of those situations i feel like there's almost as many as many Even like uh, tony maz another boston guy like he he gets a vote every year so does uh so does like dan sean i mean dan sean is he's a red sox guy i forget that tony maz i would say is a baseball guy too because mm-hmm. red sox beat reporter um, but he's mostly known for having a radio show where he talks about all boston sports but he does like yeah he is i think he he like he earned his stripes but yeah mm-hmm. like it is weird i mean in you know guys can be in the bbwaa for 30 years and their careers can completely change and they're not a baseball guy anymore but they still get a ballot every year yeah it, it can be weird like that it, it yeah but anyway so this guy david scretta he submits a blank ballot for his first time voting in the hall of fame uh i don't know if you i don't know if you guys realize this but to get a hall of fame vote you have you have to be in the bbwaa for 10 years you have to spend a decade in that organization before they even allow you an opportunity so this guy waited 10 years a full decade half of my lifetime chris half of your lifetime as well yeah to put in a blank ballot a completely uh just sheet of paper with absolutely nothing checked off and uh he made it he kind of made it about himself here it really seems he didn't it was very weird because he didn't publicly release a ballot but he didn't remain anonymous he, he emailed Ryan Thibodeau uh, his explanations, and he said, quote, those that I believe performed at a Hall of Fame level on the field did not reach that threshold in such areas as character and integrity, uh, which is, I get it. I sort of get the integrity part of it, if you're going to really take it that far. But how are you not looking at Scott Rowland as a guy who was Hall of Fame level on the field? Because I know that you're not voting against him because of character and integrity. Yeah, I mean... You know, we we talked about Scott Rowland's bubble case. He's just one of those combined effort guys that uh, that gets forgotten about um, in in baseball lore. Because, but yeah, like. By the way, there was a lot of like. Go ahead. No, nah, I, I I had nothing more. There was a lot of other baseball writers like speaking out about this. Like Derek Gould, uh, I believe the St. Louis Dispatch. Yeah, that is correct. He actually released his ballot today. Uh, said that like surprise. He he spoke out about it. Buster Olney said something about it. Uh, John Heyman said something about it. Like a lot of other voters were like, "This guy like really did this." Yeah, and actually, one point I will I will make is if you're an anti-steroid guy, which you know I get, but I also don't get. If you're an anti, you know steroid guy especially in this era 
how are you not emphasizing the greatness of the non-steroid guys like Andrew Jones, Scott? Yeah, Wilson, seriously. They played in the same era. Todd Helton. So like, and you know, we talked about like, oh, you know, this guy in this, in these five years only trailed, you know, uh, only trailed Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez in wins above replacement. replacement. Yeah. So isn't that the best guy now? Yeah. I, I don't, I like, shouldn't you be emphasizing the greatness of the guys that did not take PEDs if you're they need to like they need to do a thing I don't know how they can mandate this but they need to like force people to take like a certain amount of time to consider their ballots before they hand them in I don't know how they'd be able to mandate that but like I wish people would look at stuff like the fact that Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland for long periods of time had the third highest uh, f4 in the in the majors behind Bonds and A-Rod yeah, like Jones, it was like 97 to 06 or something yeah. something like that. A 10-year period where the only guys above them are Bonds and A-Rod. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you're still not going to vote for him because because he wasn't the best, even though the best guys I'm not voting for because of integrity or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's so weird. Yeah. I wish, uh, I mean, I know we have this conversation every year about the gatekeepers of the hall of fame and just how they're and it's frustrating because when you really look at it when you follow it as much as i do you clearly see that it's it's a very small minority of the voters like most of them actually do care most of them do take it seriously uh but people stop caring about the hall of fame because of these the david screttos of the world because of the phil rogers of the world and i get it like it's frustrating that these guys who clearly either don't care or don't know what they're talking about you know, get to decide stuff like this and it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it definitely makes you look at, look at the hall of fame differently. Cause it's like, all right, this is sort of fake in a way. Like we can, we already know who the best players are. Yeah. You know, now we have all this information that determines who the best players are and we can make our own judgments, but you know, it, certain players get to go into the museum based on different standards but I mean, we if you just look at like the replies to all the baseball hall of fame ballots that come out it's very clear what is perceived as a good ballot and it's not that hard to to distinguish between a good one and a bad one but there are still so many people that just can't even do it yeah uh it's it's real it's it is really weird but yeah i mean like every yeah, every every time i see one of these ballots talking about integrity and it's all i mean it's all an explanation like i i start to i just i like care a little less about about what uh about the whole process yeah about starts all makes me think jeff passan definitely knew what he was talking about yeah yeah he definitely does now yeah now i actually want to listen to that um I think it was his first interview on Starting Nine where he yeah, talked was. about that. Yeah, I, I listened got... to it before I interviewed him because I knew I wanted to talk to him about it. Yeah, I got to go back to that episode because I I feel like me and Jeff could have me and our me and our fifth guest of the yeah I guess show to be named later at the time, um, above replacement radio organization, the mm-hmm. fifth guest of that program, our good old buddy. Um, I feel like we would agree on on that. We definitely would. But yeah, uh, any anything more on David's credit? Because I think that does lead into Kurt Schilling. Because I think oh, let's just go into it. Because like, I I actually like <laughs> was looking at um, 
Kurt Schilling and his character. And I'm, I'm actually a little more mad that he's not in now uh, based on, you know, what I've been looking at. But anyway, we'll, we'll discuss because we'll start, there's, there, there's fair points to be made on both sides. We'll start um, with the on the field stuff, because that's ultimately what we're uh, what we're good at here mm-hmm. um, or what we're above replacement at in terms <laughs> of evaluating players. But yeah, Kurt Schilling, uh, you know, he's been he's been on the ballot. This is his ninth ninth time on the ballot um and we're going to discuss uh you know his case for and against him there's really not a lot to go against him based uh based off on the field uh things but we'll get we'll get into that so kurt Schilling, he's on his ninth ballot he started at 38.8 percent in 2013 he was on a good track record i you know John Smoltz and Tom Glavin got in first ballot. I don't see why Kurt Schilling doesn't get in first ballot, but uh, you know, I guess he just didn't have the win numbers and the. Uh, well, we looked at we looked at we looked at this very differently in 2013. Uh, yeah, 20, 2013. Yeah, it, like it's very weird because it's it is relatively recent. It's eight years ago, but even still, like baseball players were evaluated much differently. Like sabermetrics were kind of. Like it was just Brian Kenny who was in on it, and that was it. Yeah, I guess I guess that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we Kurt Schilling. Ironically, he's super against like the advanced statistics, but they the advanced statistics favor Kurt Schilling very yeah. a, a lot better than like his count statistics yes. and like traditional stats, which is funny, pretty ironic. But yeah, Schilling uh, started at thirty eight point eight percent in twenty thirteen. Uh, he had drops in 2014 and 2017, likely due to some uh, some bombshell things he said on the internet, which uh, rubbed people the wrong way. And he has gone from 45.0% to 70.0% uh, from 2017 to 2020. And so far in 2021, on 122 known ballots, uh, is at 72.1%. Um, so he it wouldn't be a surprise if he did or didn't um, get into the hall of fame this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he definitely had drops because of things that he was uh, things that he was saying. But uh, anyway, uh, we look at the, on, you know, also we have to get into the on the field stuff. Cause I, I do see people on, on Twitter say like, you know, I don't even know if he's, a hall of famer without the things he said and i feel like that's just a ridiculous statement but we got to get into it like kurt schilling the the caliber of pitcher that he was he could be he's he's a nominee for like a history episode that's how that's how great he was Mm -hmm. uh schilling had 79.5 b war uh 80.5 pitcher b war so if you take out any of the hitting he had 80.5 pitcher b war uh 79.8 f war uh, 48.6 peak war, which is 1.4 below average for Hall of Fame starting pitchers, although his overall wins above replacement is above average for Hall of Fame starting pitchers. Uh, that's for Hall of Fame starting pitchers, not just any any uh, starting pitchers. And uh, 3.46 hit a lifetime career. 3.46 ERA, 3.23 FIP, and 127 ERA plus 
in 3,261 innings pitched. Uh, that 127 ERA plus says that he was 20, 27% above a league average uh, in terms of run prevention uh, during, his, during his career, uh, throughout his entire career. And he has a 216 and 146 lifetime record. He also has 3,116 career strikeouts, which might be top 15 all time. He also has a 2.23 lifetime ERA in the playoffs in 133 and a third innings pitch. He's like the first guy that we're talking about where his uh, playoff performance impacts his yes. um, Hall of Fame case. Significantly. Significantly. One of the best best big game, big game pitchers uh, of all time. You could probably make the case that he is the best. Yeah, definitely. Um, he, uh, in fact, he won the 1993 NLCS MVP, and he was a 2001 World Series co-MVP. And he was also a three-time World Series champion. And for some context on Kurt Schilling this year, uh, if Schilling does not get in this year, he will be the first to miss the Hall of Fame the year after uh, getting 70% of the vote, which he did last year, since Jim Bunning from 1988 to 1989. So it would be the first time in over 30 years that um, yeah, that this would not happen. But yeah, what do we see from, from the on-the-field stuff? I, I think, you know. I mean, it goes without saying. <laughs> it's yeah. you're looking at a history episode. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's how about that's that we're going to be talking about. But yes. we, we, we have to talk about it because I feel like he is, like, even with all the hoopla surrounding him and, and what have you, he's one of the most underrated pitchers ever, uh, I think. I think he kind of got, um, like, overshadowed by, like, Randy Johnson when he was on the Diamondbacks and like when he pitched on the Philly, his best years in Philly, in Philly, they weren't really a competitive team. And like, uh, I mean, I guess he gets recognition in, in Boston, but yeah, it's uh, it's weird. He's, he's still pretty underrated. And in fact, we'll get into the comparisons. Uh, so there are seven other pitchers, uh, with 75 to 85 pitcher B war in the modern era. Uh, those seven pitchers are Steve Carlton, a uh, history alum, Nolan Ryan, who's also a history alum, uh, Robin Roberts, Mike Messina, Fergie Jenkins, who's also a history alum, Bob Gibson and Cy Young. And they are all hall of famers. Uh, so the goes without saying that's not even like at like pitchers with at least a certain B war that's like a range of where Kurt Schilling is in the middle of that range. Uh, that's the company that he's in. And there are five other retired pitchers with an ERA plus of 125 to 130 in 2,700 to 3,700 innings pitched in the live ball era. Uh, those five pitchers are Carl Hubble, Kevin Brown, Dazzy Vance, Hal Neuhauser, and Tommy Bridges. Uh, three of those are Hall of Famers, and Kevin Brown would likely be a Hall of Famer if not for the uh, Mitchell Report, which which he was on. But he, he did have Hall of Fame numbers. Um, but yeah, in terms of the case on the field with, with Kurt Schilling, there's really not much 
I guess you could say, in our opinions. Um, if you're a small haul person, uh, Kurt Schilling might not make the cut. If you think, you know, he wasn't like a top three pitcher of his era, which I guess he wasn't because of uh, because of you know, Randy Johnson. Clemens, Johnson. You could say he wasn't even, you could feasibly say he was not even the best pitcher on his own team. And that's not even, you can, you can't even blame him. Yeah, that's, you, <laughs> yeah, you can't blame him. He's, he was behind one of the yeah. best pitchers of all time. Yeah. But yeah, like he was, he was behind, like uh, Clemens, uh, Maddox, Johnson, and Pedro were all like better than him during his era. So if you're a small hall person, I guess Shillian might not make the cut. He wasn't like top three of his era, I guess you could say. Uh, and if you're into career wins, uh, there are two other pitchers with exactly 216 career wins, and those guys are not Hall of Famers. So Kurt Schilling was not winning the ball games. So I guess uh, that would be the case against he him. He and Jacob DeGrom, they don't win the games. Yeah. It's going to be funny when – Jacob deGrom gets inducted <laughs> in the Hall of Fame with like 115 career wins. It's going to be... Yeah, like a winning percentage of like 543. <laughs> not not even. It's going to be sad. Like one, 100, 118 wins, 3,000... Like 86 losses. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be crazy. A, a career ERA plus of like 140. <laughs> Two Cy Youngs, probably more. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's it's very fair to say he's not done winning Cy Youngs. Yeah, I mean he almost won one uh, this past year. Yeah, top three. And I have some stats on him that I was gonna go over uh, when we do the the previews, but we'll save that. Yeah. For for twenty twenty one season previews. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're, I mean, we're closer to spring training than we are to last year's World Series. Yeah, we are. I guess not a regular season, but... Well, no, I want to save it because I have have some stuff. But anyway, back to Kurt Schilling. Did not win the games like Hall of Famers, but, you know, we we all know how we feel about that. Yes. And I guess uh, never won the... He was above above replacement. He was, yeah, he was above replacement. But he did, he never led the league in baseball uh, reference wins above replacement. It's a shame. And he, uh, he never won the Cy Young. So I guess that would be the case against him. I guess the main thing would be like, if you're a small Paul, a small hall person. I mean, even then, it's it's weird. But um, there is a case against him off the field. I guess in terms of yeah. the, uh, I'll probably I'll go over that. So yeah. the case against him off the field is is very clearly the reason why he's not in. Like that's that's not even disputable. Uh, I mean, we only had three three case against us on the field, and they're even and they're very arbitrary. Uh, that being said, he's gotten into a lot of controversies on social media. And the worst one, this happened, this is weird because this happened years ago. I remember when it first happened and no one really cared, but you know, it's, it's been picked up a lot in the last year. Uh, he tweeted a photo of someone wearing a t-shirt that I don't even want to say implied it, it encouraged the, the lynching of journalists and his caption was uh, so much awesome in here. So he was he was promoting that we that we lynch journalists, uh, you know, guys are just trying to do their job uh, and they're trying to seek the truth and report it without minimizing harm. So, you know, you have that. That's not great. He's also made transphobic comments. Uh, he's compared Muslim extremists to Nazis. And I think the, the most recent one and the one that really cuts deep is that 
Uh, he openly said that he didn't believe Adam Jones for saying that he faced racism at Fenway Park. Uh, he did this right after it happened. Like, he didn't even really do much research into it. He just said, yeah, he's lying. Like, there's no way. Like, he's just he just wants to make a name for himself as if he wasn't already, like, one of the elite outfielders in baseball at the time. Uh, I'm not even going to sugarcoat here. This is not okay. Like, it's indefensible. It's something that he should have never have done. It's something that nobody should ever do. And it's something that he should be held more accountable for, whether that means kicking him out of the Hall of Fame or not, because clearly he's not going to take it upon himself to be accountable. Um, you know, that's, uh, I, I'm still voting for Schilling this year, but I've, over the last year, I've kind of grown a better understanding as to why people don't vote for him. And um, it, it has a lot to do with this. This is uh, this goes beyond his politics because that's a lot. That's what a lot of people tend to point to, is it's because of who he supports and who he voted for, or whatever. And this this all just it goes beyond it. Like I don't even think that can be really disputed. Like this this is just a matter of being a good person, and in these senses, it's he's not doing himself any favors. Yeah, he's very off the cuff, and um, he's not like definitely online not if nice. social media never existed he would be in by now or if he just deleted his twitter yeah i guess um but that's that's just that's just what he's what he lives on now yeah um but yeah we're now there's uh the case for him on the field um and off the field because i think there is some things that don't get pointed out in terms of his hall of fame case even even off the field even when you take in consideration the uh the online stuff what he says and things of that nature i feel like there's some things that may outweigh that there's uh you know possibly there's an argument to be made but on the field just looking at what he did uh between the two foul lines uh he has above average wins above replacement and uh jaws for hall of fame starting pitching i'm not talking about the jaws that uh, control the movement of your face. Talking about uh, Jaff. What is it? Jaff? Or it's Jaff. Jaff, yeah. Yeah, Jaff. Uh, I forget what the... Now I got to... You got to look up. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't help you out either. Um, where's Hall of Fame statistics? I'm on, I'm on Jose Alvarado's... <laughs> it's towards the bottom. Right? It's towards the bottom. It's always at the bottom. Uh, yeah. They don't even have it for Mr. Alvarado, so I'll have to go to... Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's like once you play 10 years or once you play like enough time to... to. Yeah, I guess. Put yourself in a position. Like it he's only played five years. For... It stands for uh, Jaff, Jaff War Score System, which is uh, basically... It is the average between your total wins above replacement and your peak wins above replacement. It's the average of that. So you take his total wins above replacement, add his peak wins above replacement, which is his seven best years according to wins above replacement, and then you divide that by two. That's your jaws. So it basically takes into consideration your longevity and your peak and kind of provides equal value in a way. So his Jaws is above average for Hall of Fame starting pitchers. We haven't acknowledged Jaws yet, but it's a it's a it's a quality metric. I, it I is. Like it. 
and it's and it's made by a cool guy. Yeah, Jay Jaff. Shout out uh, Jay Jaff of Fangraphs. Jay Jaff of Fangraphs. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Also on the field from 1997 to 2004, uh, here are the pitcher B war rankings. So number one is Pedro Martinez. Number two is Randy Johnson. Number three is Kurt Schilling. That's Kurt Schilling right there. Number four is Roger Clemens. Number five is Mike Messina. Number six is Kevin Brown. And number seven is Greg Maddox. So he was behind, you know, some heavy hitters, but he was also ahead of some heavy hitters. And he was also, he was also third in F war from 1997 to 2004 uh, behind Martinez and Johnson. Uh, and he was also ahead of Clemens, Messina, Brown, and Maddox uh, in different orders. So third and B war and F war between 1997 and 2004, that's an eight year span where he was the third best pitcher in baseball. Schilling also had uh, four top five Cy Young finishes. He also finished top five in the in innings pitch five times finished top five in strikeouts eight times. Uh, he finished top 10 in ERA nine times and finished top five four times. Uh, he finished top 10 in FIP 11 times and finished top five eight times. Uh, he also finished top 10 in B-War 10 times, uh, which is a, a whole lot for wins above replacement. And he finished top five in B-War seven times. And uh, he also finished top five in F war seven times and finished top 10 in uh, Fangraphs war 11 times. So that's a lot of many occurrences where he was the, he was a top five pitcher in his league, uh, which is plenty to put you in, into the hall of fame. Yeah. And uh, you know, for your on the field performance, especially. And there are 21 other pitchers with 3,000 plus innings pitched and an ERA plus of 125 or better. 19 are Hall of Famers and the other two are Roger Clemens and Kevin Brown who are Mitchell, Mitchell Report uh, guys, guys who are linked with PED use, which uh, writers use that against them. And Kurt Schilling, by the way, not a PED guy, if nope. that wasn't clear beforehand. And Schilling... Also, there are three other pitchers with exactly nine qualifying seasons with an ERA plus of 130, 130 or better. Those three pitchers are Mike Messina, Clayton Kershaw, and Tom Seaver. All, you know, Clayton Kershaw will be a first ballot Hall of Famer um, later on when he retires, whenever that may be. Tom Seaver uh, had the record. Tom Seaver had the record for. Hall of Fame vote percentage until I think Mariano Rivera. No, Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, yeah. So he had that for a very long time. A uh, little over or maybe 20 years he he had that. Yeah. And uh, Mike Messina got in a little late, but he is in the Hall of Fame ultimately. Uh, and then also there are four other pitchers with exactly eight seasons with 5.5 plus baseball wins above replacement. Uh, those four pitchers are Eddie Plank, who's a dead ball era Hall of Famer. Uh, very good, pretty underrated. Uh, Gaylord Perry, who's a Hall of Famer. Bob Gibson and Greg Maddox, who are clearly both Hall of Famers. Uh, Kurt Schilling is also 13th all time in wins above average for starting pitchers. Um, and all of the other members 
of the 3000 strikeout club who have been eligible for the ballot are hall of famers besides Roger Clemens, who's, you know, linked to the PED use. Uh, uh, Schilling also has the highest strikeout to walk ratio of anyone with 2000 plus innings pitch in the modern era. And he is the only pitcher in baseball history with 3000 plus strikeouts and less than 750 walks. So clearly he's in exclusive clubs. Uh, and you know, this is, this is a guy that looks like a, looks like a hall of famer. If you, if you didn't understand that he was a, uh, you know, had hall of fame caliber statistics. And lastly, we'll get into the postseason stuff. His 13 games in the playoffs with a game score of 65 or better are the most in a in postseason history, and he has the highest win probability added for a starting pitcher in the postseason in baseball history. And you know, you might think, hey, he had he had you know, if you have uh, more opportunities, you probably have a higher win probability added. He was not top 10 in uh, playoff starts or innings pitched, so you know he was he wasn't you know top 10 in appearances or, or starts but he was still able to lead in in win probability added in the postseason so like yeah it's pretty clear that you know it's pretty clear now that on the field definitely a hall of famer and we went over the questionable stuff we went over the questionable stuff off the field you know things that he has uh things that he has said but i think it's important to go over things that things things he has done um off of the field uh and you know part of it is recency bias you know he's he's you know his he's demoted his name over the past few years but you know going back into the 90s into the 2000s and maybe even today he's made a, a pretty big impact uh off the field in a in a positive way uh with this with this program he does so in 1992 uh kurt schilling and his wife created the Kurtz pitch for ALS program. And as of a 2009 article on PR web, uh, this program has raised over $10 million for ALS research. And that's just 2009. So like that could probably be raised a lot. Like that was 12 years ago. Yeah. 12 years ago. So it could be up to 15, 20 million now. Yeah. I don't know how active he is anymore uh, with this. Maybe it was a thing he did more uh, while he played, but Still, I mean, those $10 million that's going all to uh, ALS research. And in 2001, uh, Schilling won the Roberto Clemente Award because of his efforts in ALS. And according to MLB's website, the Roberto Clemente Award is bestowed annually to the player who best represents the game of baseball through extraordinary character, community involvement, philanthropy, and positive contributions both on and off the field. So that's that's character that's the character clause uh, with with Kurt Schilling. He won a he, he won a an award based on his character on and off the field and his performance on and off the field with this uh, with this fund. And it wasn't just about the money with Kurt Schilling. It wasn't you know just raising money. He was very involved. And here's a quote from brainandlife.org. This is a very neutral website. This is a, this is from 2005. Uh, the quote says, but the couple's involvement with ALS work goes far beyond dollars. Starting with Dick Bergeron, who has since passed away, Kurt and Shonda have 
made it a point to spend as much time as they can with people who have ALS. We meet so many people, but, and this is a quote, we, we meet so many people, but there's something about every person we meet that stays in our minds. We go to different events in at least three states every year. It's almost 15 years since we got involved and the list of people we've lost is so tremendous. So tremendous, says Shonda. Shonda is uh, Kurt Schilling's wife. Uh, the quote goes on and says, the time, uh, the time right after the time right after getting diagnosed with ALS is such a dark cloud. If we can do anything to make help to help make this cloud smaller, give people a reason uh, to hope, then we then we want to do that. That's what's important to Kurt and me. We're working hard for a cure, but we have to take care of people in the meantime. Uh, so you heard you heard that quote from uh, Shonda Schilling, which is who is uh, Kurt Schilling's wife and another quote <clears throat> this time from uh, PR Webb on Kurt Schilling's contribution with uh, his ALS program uh, it says quote the Schillings who have raised more than 10 million dollars for the association through their Kurt's pitch for ALS covering all the bases say it with flowers and numerous other fundraisers remain steadfast in their ded dedication to curing ALS the Schillings also played, have played a vital role in the association's advocacy efforts, including participating in Advocacy Day on Capitol Hill and testifying before Congress. The Schillings' outreach to Congress and the administration on behalf of people with ALS helped build support for ALS Registry Act, legislation signed into law in 2008 that will establish the first national ALS patient registry at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The registry is expected to collect vital information about the disease that will significantly advance the fight to find a treatment and cure. And uh, be, partly because of his uh, testifying before Congress for this deadly disease and for the improved research on this deadly disease, Kurt Schilling was in, inducted into a different Hall of Fame. Uh, this Hall of Fame being the ALS Association Hall of Fame. Uh, that was in 2009. So, you know, I understand that his record on the internet is not great, but... He doesn't win the games of, there either. In terms of impact on, I guess, you know, humanity and, uh, you know, a deadly disease that has no cure so far um it's pretty great it's undeniably pretty great raising over 10 million dollars also testifying before congress so that als can be recognized more and focused more that's a very big deal and i think it's a much bigger deal than people realize and it gets kind of swept under the rug in terms of when people are talking about his character you know he's said he's definitely said some some things that are wrong but you know, in terms of being an actual good person in the real world, um, I think he meets that mark based on what he's done with trying to cure, you know, not him trying to cure the disease, but him making efforts to raise money for awareness and uh, research for this disease. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not going to act like what he puts online should just disappear like off of his record because of this but it is 
interesting how, you know, people will talk about Kurt Schilling's character all the time and use it against him, but they never seem to bring up this. Like it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to make waves ever. And, you know, anyone, anyone can say these horrible things online that Kurt Schilling has said, and that doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make them a good person, obviously, but not everyone has a platform where they can promote something like that. And Kurt Schilling is the one who does it for good. Yeah. And, you know, lots of people, you like, you know, there's lots, lots of guys who make a lot of money, but, you know, I, he used his platform, you know, I, I guess during his time of playing and, you know, before this whole, you know, wreck bad record on the internet, he's, he made a good record for himself and used his platform properly in terms of, you know, raising money for ALS and, um, you know, te- you know, testifying before Congress and making it, I'm trying to <laughs> figure out the length, I'm trying to uh, focus more on the language of it, but it was a very big deal on I'm trying to see exactly what it said, but, you know, it, testifying before Congress so that uh, vital information about the disease could be um, significantly advanced uh, is the language of it. Yeah. It's it's a very big deal. I, I understand that, you know, words do mean a lot, but actions also mean a lot. They mean yeah. actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words, and I, I can't say that that Kurt Schilling is a bad person. Uh, he's just he's done too much on behalf of uh, the research for he doesn't for ALS. he doesn't put himself in a public picture where he looks good. I think that's yeah, what we're that's does, what you're looking to say. He doesn't help himself at all, and um, I guess he's somewhat more humble about the uh, what he's done with ALS research. But you know, it doesn't help him. Recency bias doesn't help him because you know it, he hasn't been as active with the uh, ALS research foundation and, and things of that nature as of late all we've seen him is just on twitter and stuff like that but um it it makes things like this get swept under the rug and uh and yeah i i think when we look at character that should be heavily considered i think it should be considered more than what he says online not saying that what he says online doesn't mean anything but i think it should be considered more because of because of these very a stout action it should be considered period yeah like it's not considered period because when you when you talk about Kurt Schilling's character it's all in in negative connotation yeah exactly yeah exactly exactly like I I was reading um there's a a a guy that you know I I like his work um Joe Poznanski who uh left him off the ballot this year and he was talking about how like he's he's done nothing but you know he's he's very he's extremely vindictive and divisive online, which I can't entirely disagree with, but, you know, in terms of character, this is the, uh, we should be focusing more on the bigger picture of life and what it is, uh, not just what he does online because he's, what he's, what he's done in the real world is actually very good. And, you know, he hasn't in the real, I, I know that online sort of means something, but, you know, he hasn't been like actively bad in the real world, mostly just on the internet. Exactly. But yeah, uh, that's, that's Kurt Schilling. It's a, it's a a lot more, um, 
a lot more abstract. Than- I know that I know that Kurt Schilling is your passion project. That was the one that you had the big advocacy for last year. Uh, I had the same thing with Larry Walker. And uh, next year, I think I think I'm going to move on to Billy Wagner. All right, I uh... like I've been very very passionate about Billy Wagner uh, recently. I've done a lot of digging on him. And I know that you didn't vote for him last year. So I'm curious to see if I can change your mind next week. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't, I definitely didn't know what I was doing last year. <laughs> That's um, okay. I'm uh, I've considered him. I, um, I could go either way on, on Wagner. I will say that. All right. Uh, well, I got, I got next week to make my sales pitch. So yeah, that, you know, I, you know, in the prep sheet, I will do, I guess I'll do case against and you will do yeah. case for, that's right. But I, I also did read the um, did read the uh, the ballot reveal on uh, the fansmagazine.com mm-hmm. on Daniel's deep dives and uh, took took note of what was in the uh, what was in the case for him. But yeah, Billy Wagner is what we're going to be talking about next week. But yeah, Kurt Schilling, uh, the Kurt Schilling Hall of Fame case. It's much more abstract. Normally, normally you don't have to talk about. You know, we didn't we never had to talk about. Uh, Mark Burley's Twitter or Mark Burley's uh, foundations or anything. We just looked at what he was doing on the field. Yeah. This one is a, is a hard one because he's clearly, he's clearly earned it on the field. Um, especially in our eyes, it's just, you know, what do you, what do you weigh more uh, in terms of, you know, letting him get a plaque in Cooperstown, but yeah, I guess that uh, closes the book on the, uh, the first episode as above replacement radio. Wow. Uh, it, now I gotta now I gotta get used to plugging the show uh, as uh, under our different name. But yeah, if you enjoyed the uh, episode, if you uh, were listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, want to watch the videos with us, uh, go to our YouTube channel. It is called above replacement radio <laughs> it's called i above- was ready for you to say stbnl podcast too like it was just in my mind <laughs> yeah it is called above replacement radio we also have uh, all our hall of fame breakdowns if you just want to watch those yeah. that's in a playlist if you want to check out the baseball history series uh that is all chronologically in there also if you want to follow us on social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore gianta follow daniel on twitter and instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio. When you change it, I was surprised we were able to fit all those characters in. Oh, Instagram doesn't have a limit. Oh, that's pretty cool. No, it was just a matter of if it was taken or not. And I didn't, I was, I would have been shocked if there was another Instagram user named above replacement radio. Yeah. And very disappointed because then uh, I guess we would have a, an issue there. We could just do like underscores and dots, but that's not fun. Yeah. But anyway, we hope you enjoyed our MLB news slash Hall of Fame breakdown episode uh, of the week. And we hope to see you on Thursday where we're talking Johnny Bench and on Friday where we are talking the 2011 Cardinals. See you then.